Hi, this is Sakha Brahman from the OrthoClips podcast series, and today I'm with Mark Bringleman, uh, attorney of law, um, JDMA uh, at um, Mark Bringleman Attorney at Law PLLC in Frankfort, Kentucky, and we're going to be talking about uh, topics not as scientific as some of other other ones, but it's of particular interest to all of you. And the title is going to be Use of Electronic Media in Healthcare, How to Stay Out of Trouble. Uh, thanks, uh, Mr. Brangelman, for uh, coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. This is Mark Brangelman. Great. So we'll get right into it. Um, what are some of the common ways that healthcare workers uh, um, use media that could violate HIPAA? Um, we hear about... Uh, exercise and caution all the time. Um, where do you see that happening? Well, Dr. Sakub, uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast today and to be with all of your listeners, and it's a great opportunity to spread the wealth of information and try to be helpful to medical practitioners. And you ask a very general question that's a good one is to electronic media and healthcare and how you can stay out of trouble. There are certainly common ways that healthcare workers use that could violate HIPAA and some of the common ones are as follows. Taking a selfie with the patient or even in the hallway of a healthcare facility where a patient room number is visible, even when the patient is in the selfie. In fact, if the patient wants you to be in the selfie, they're consenting to it. Uh, that is not uh, appropriate even then to post that on the healthcare practitioner's social media. So there's no HIPAA violation by the patient if the patient posts their own picture in the hospital and they can say as much as they want to, uh, but that is not a reason for you to post it. I've seen uh, even neighbors, friends, and family post their own radiographs and say, my kid broke his arm today on the middle school playground. Look at that fracture. And they post their own radiograph, uh, and that's not a HIPAA violation may or may not be wise, but it is a HIPAA violation if you comment on it as a healthcare practitioner um, or you post it somehow even though the patient has already done so. The next big thing that's a problem for healthcare practitioners is identifying patients in any way in social media. And so referring to a patient by first name only isn't enough. Uh, referring to them uh, when your Facebook profile tells you that you're a surgeon at Temple University in the orthopedic department uh, and you take a picture or a selfie outside a patient's room where the patient's room number uh, is identifiable, someone may be able to trace that back and identify the patient, and that is a social media violation. The examples of that I use in addition are uh, the, the life in a small town example, which is a particularly good one here in Kentucky, uh, because, for example, a nurse may post something uh, after the emergency department shift is over that says, boy, there was a really bad three-car accident in the town tonight. Uh, that teenage driver should have worn her seatbelt. And in a small town like in Kentucky, there probably was only one three-car accident in the town that evening. In fact, you hope so. And people will see that on social media and know who that is because everybody knows everybody in a small town. Um, even if the newspaper reports on it on Monday that there was a three-car accident, 
you posting something after your emergency department visit um, may be enough to identify uh, because the newspaper will name names uh, and could it be traceable back to your post that people would know who that was in the three-car accident. So my other examples to conclude this question were um, using unsecured or personal devices to communicate with patients or other health care providers. HIPAA requires secure digital communications by email or texting. Um, 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 also, although it's not a HIPAA violation, um, using your personal device uh, for business and pleasure where you might be communicating with individuals about patients and such uh, and, um, and then using it for pleasure, um, if you lose that device, then that risks uh, privacy and HIPAA violations uh, by the, the healthcare provider. And then finally, although it's not a HIPAA violation, it's a common violation, violating an employer human resource or employment policy uh, is something that gets healthcare practitioners in trouble. For example, some healthcare entities have a rule that says you can't post anything about work on your social media. Uh, you're certainly not supposed to be talking about it at home with your wife or your husband, um, but uh, regardless of whether you're uh, potentially violating HIPAA by taking selfies in the hallway or with the patient or commenting on patient cases, there are employers that just have blanket rules that says you, you're not allowed to post anything about your employment. Hmm, a lot of uh, a lot of examples that I could easily see um, people uh, doing and maybe not thinking twice about um, or thinking, well, maybe that's possibly a problem, but I think it's probably okay um, and getting in trouble. So I think those are great examples. And you mentioned the use of your personal device and mixing it, you know, with work and um, uh, personal use. So you know, a lot of um, healthcare facilities will issue devices for use um, uh, on work-related activities, uh, but there are many people who will kind of opt out of that and continue to use their own device. Um, and I think there are requirements that they have to make sure that device is locked. Uh, but it, when is it okay to use your own personal email? Uh, maybe phone numbers uh, when discussing cases. And I say discussing cases, this is a audience that reaches a lot of orthopedic surgeons. So, you know, if you have an interesting or difficult case or you're crowdsourcing perhaps to find out how would you all treat this, um, how could you use your, can you use your personal email, um, text with your phone number, or is that going to be a problem most of the time? Well, that's a very good question as well, and uh, HIPAA does not distinguish between personal or business devices, uh, and the same rules apply uh, to any kind of communication, no matter how the device is used. Uh, it's just a lot easier as a practical matter to separate a business personal device or a business smartphone uh, versus a personal smartphone, and you keep those two separate. Uh, but regardless, just remember, everyone out there, Email and texting has been around a long time. Um, that has been uh, a common method of communication. And also, you're not talking about HIPAA violations when you talk about communications between the employee and the employer that don't divulge protected health information. So a nurse can use his or her personal device uh, to text or contact the employer 
to say it snowed a lot last night here in the Philadelphia area. I'm getting a late start. My kids are out of school. I am coming in for my shift, but I'll be a little bit late. That does not violate HIPAA or divulge any protected health information. So basically, uh, if you use a personal device or no matter what kind of device you use, you need to make sure that email is encrypted, that text is encrypted, and I am no computer expert beyond that. Um, but you have to make sure that they meet whatever digital requirements that, that uh, HIPAA requires. But you mentioned crowdsources, crowdsourcing and brainstorming and consultation with other practitioners, and that certainly could be done without naming patient names or without mm -hmm. providing enough information that would be identifiable to a patient. So sending an email or text to your surgeon colleagues just saying, ever had a patient with a compound fracture like this or like that, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to sending a radiograph, because guess what? Radiographs have metadata, and, and in fact, they may already have on them the name of the patient, the patient ID number, the temple hospital name on it, uh, mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so um, it, it's difficult to redact those, but certainly you can consult with other practitioners uh, in a way that doesn't violate HIPAA so long as you don't name the patient or any other information that could be identifiable to the patient, and you'd be surprised how easy that is to meet. So similar to that, I get asked sometimes that, hey, you know, okay, I'm told I have to use an encrypted method, but iMessage is encrypted, so can I just use my iPhone and use iMessage, or perhaps you're on a different device and you're using WhatsApp, and that's encrypted. Uh, but then we get told sometimes by our health system as well, you know, we have another system that's encrypted. You know, we use a certain proprietary um, messaging uh, system in our health, uh, in our healthcare system that's neither of those, not iMessage or WhatsApp, and our people tell us, like, this is what you have to use if you're going to discuss patient information in cases. What's the difference? I mean, is it okay to use um, something like iMessage or WhatsApp because it's encrypted and just discuss a patient case with somebody or not? That's a question I don't know a solid answer to. I am not a digital expert on those kinds of specific software and application products. I really have no idea. I would say, though, that it's probably not HIPAA compliant. It may or may not be HIPAA compliant. Generally, when it is, it is marketed specifically as HIPAA compliant, and it is usually commercially available software that you have to pay for and use. So I do know things like the Skype two-way real-time audio-video uh, audio connection, Skype, is not HIPAA compliant. There may be other versions of Skype that you can use and pay for that would be HIPAA compliant, um, but so far as I know, that is an example of one that is not HIPAA compliant. Um, so iMessage, WhatsApp, Skype, some of those things are very likely not HIPAA compliant. They would be if they were commercially available. Generally, you have to pay for those, and they are clearly marketed as such. So once they meet those standards of HIPAA compliance, if if um, through no fault of your own, 
somebody hacks into your uh, protected and encrypted uh, email or texting account at, at uh, Temple University or what have you, um, you're not liable then for, uh, there's no strict liability for that kind of breach so long as you were doing things uh, and using the appropriate encrypted technology. I do want to reflect just at the end of my response here that in my jurisdiction, for example, in mental health law with psychologists specifically, there are state laws that govern uh, licensed psychologists as healthcare professionals, and they tell you how to practice telehealth and telemedicine and telepsychology. So using encrypted communications, encrypted email, uh, having informed consent, how you store electronic data, who has access to that, how you dispose of computer equipment, like your laptop computer, uh, or the office photocopier and scanner that's on a two-year lease and goes back to the factory. Just be aware that in some professions, and again, I reference mental health. I know we're talking here mostly to orthopedic surgeons and such, um, but some professions have specific although general standards about how you do things electronically, uh, like engage in telepsychology or telepractice. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's going to lead me into my uh, last question, um, which is, uh, you know, what are some tips uh, coming from you for orthopedic surgeons, surgeons who want to connect um, through electronic media with their patients you know, we kind of already talked about, you know, better ways to connect with other docs, but in terms of um, being out there um, on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, or being able to uh, provide avenues for their patients, to contact them, to email them, to post messages, and uh, have um, a, kind of a connection with the patients in a sphere that they're already using um, that remains... HIPAA compliant, but still allows the doctors to, to, to do that and the patients to sort of have the satisfaction of being able to connect better. What, what are a few good tips to keep people out of trouble? Well, some very good tips to help good people and healthcare practitioners, practitioners stay out of trouble would be to continue to use social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you do to promote yourself as a healthcare professional, as a business person, uh, uh, those kinds of things like that, but not to mix that with anything directly related to patients. So you don't want to be friends, quote unquote, with your patients on Facebook uh, for various reasons, but one of them is you don't want them to post protected health information or to you to respond to it. So um, if, you, if you use social media, you use them for educational purposes in general, for business purposes in general. You have a LinkedIn account for those purposes in general and stay away from specific client and patient contact. That being said, there are commercially available software programs uh, for a secure online patient portal where you can provide that to patients and patients can communicate you through encrypted messages. My own specialist, my general practitioner, is an internal medicine physician, a DO, and I've just fairly recently myself gotten signed up with a secure patient portal. It can be a pain to use. Every time you log on, they go through a two-step verification uh, and security where 
if you've signed up and been approved and your physician knows who you are and you provide an email address, a telephone number, et cetera, et cetera, every time you log on, you get an encrypted text or something that says, we think you're trying to log on. If it's really you, enter this four-digit code. So then you have to enter the four-digit code just to be able to read your email from your doctor that says, thank you very much, Mark. We'll see you next week for your appointment. Right. But it's effective. Yeah. I mean, it, it's secure. It's clunky. And patients aren't going to like that because they want to be on Facebook and share their vacation pictures with their families and coworkers and then confirm their appointment next week with their orthopedic surgeon. You got to put that down, log on to the secure patient portal, get a text on your phone that says, we think you're trying to log in, enter this four-digit code and, and talk to Dr. Saqib, and that's the way you do it, but it's secure and it's effective. It's a great idea, and I think we're seeing more and more of that now, and uh, hopefully um, things will get a little bit uh, more efficient um, for our patients who want to securely uh, connect but um, not spend too much time doing it. I think there was a lot of great stuff there. Um, we are uh, out of time. Um, I think there's um, other, um, any other resources you want to just point out to listeners who want to find more since we're going to finish up here? Finishing up now, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. And uh, for employers and healthcare providers, look for human resource policy resources. Even the smallest medical office should have confidentiality statements for their own employees, the receptionist, their secretary, and whomever. Uh, and any employer should have a solid, robust human resources policy on the use of social media, the use of personal devices, and such like that. So that would be one thing uh, for employees to know uh, what the ground rules are uh, to maintain confidentiality. Sounds good. Thanks for providing that. And um, thanks for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Again, I was with Mark Brengelman, attorney at law and we were talking about use of electronic media in healthcare, how to stay out of trouble. Thank you.